Welcome everybody to the Learn From Patient Safety Events podcast. This is one in a series of podcasts you are able to find online. Today we're going to be talking to one of our early adopters um, as organisations yet to transition are really keen to hear the lessons learned. So um, uh, I'll let them introduce themselves in a moment. So as for me and myself, my name is Hugh Archibald. My pronouns are he and him and I am the product owner for the Learn From Patient Safety Events service at NHS England. Lucy? Hi, I'm Lucy Mussett. I'm the senior product owner and uh, project lead for the Learn From Patient Safety Events Service and my pronouns are she and her. Good afternoon. My name is Tony Graham, Associate Director of Safety, Security and Resilience for Cumbria Northumberland Time. We are NHS Foundation Trust, been a pilot organisation since 2019 for LFPSE. Hello there, my name is Debbie Francis. I'm the incident lead at CNTW, working alongside Tony. Lovely. Thanks a lot, both. We are framing this conversation around some of the questions that got the highest votes on the poll we posted on the NHS Futures about the topics that you are most interested in hearing from uh, from riders who already transitioned. Uh, so listen out for some of those cues and I hope we managed to cover them all. Um, so uh, let's just start off by um, uh, describing what sort of organisation you are and, um, um, and what sort of bed size you have. Okay, so CNTW is the Mental Health, Autism and Learned Disability Foundation Trust. We actually span 4,800 square miles across the full border of Scotland in the northeast of North Cumbria. We've got about 9,000 staff that's directly employed with a number of agency staff um, and locums and things like that. We have over 800 beds um, and we're on target this year to report the highest number of incidents in my system, probably about 70,000 incidents this year. Um, I guess the other bit is the only services we don't operate as a mental health, autism and learning disability trust are high secure hospitals. So we have every type of specialty and, and our Mitford unit, our autism unit is the only one of its kind in the NHS and does account for a high number of LFF, LFPSE reportable incidents around that patient population. OK, that's really helpful. Thanks, um, Tony. I didn't know that. Um, so what, what sort of uh, what local risk man management system do you use? So we use Ulysses, uh, the safeguard system. We've used that system for over 15 years. Um, and like I say, we were the pilot organisation. So we started from the what was when it was launched as DP Sims, your kind of beta system and pushing instance into that. Um, but then we connected our, our, our live system. So we've, we've not sent a number of instances through our testing system as well. So we've been using the instance system for 15 years. Probably only been web-based for about seven years. I think we were one of the last trusts in England to have a web-based system. So it was paper-based prior to that with just direct input. Sure. Okay, thanks. Um, and yeah, so you, you're, you've been engaged in this project long before I was even here, um, but you've worked with Lucy for many years and um, have been um, involved in the Learn for Patient Safety Events project. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, so when did you start using LFPSE? How long have you been uh, live? So, so we went live on the 15th of September. And I guess it's it's safe to say that um, that transition day was based on all of the learning experience and knowledge we had in the three or four years prior to that, accepting that it was kind of slowed because of the pandemic. And uh, so, so our first instant went in actually at about seven o'clock in the morning. So we picked the time where we knew that we got the least instance reported to go live in case we had any operational issues. That's probably a key learning point. Um, and interestingly, as soon as you put in the product key to switch it on, and there is no going back from that point and you have to to learn about whether you've done it correctly and all that type of stuff. 
we I was putting the test live instant in to transfer it in and actually a clinician reported before us in our organization. I think that's really important because it was the validation we could see in the LFPSC live system that a yeah. clinician had actually reported the first instant from our trust. And that's because they were actually just doing their day to day task as the, at the point that we switched it over. Right. They beat you to it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't take it personally. I still hold yeah. the record for submitting the first one nationally. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that, that's really helpful that you chose to do it outside of was it outside of working hours like on a Sunday evening was it sort of no no it was I think it was a Thursday morning uh, right. the other bit is we targeted the go live in line with our world patient safety day mm -hmm. so we, we actually knew world patient safety day this year fell on a Saturday and unfortunately our IT colleagues weren't brave enough in case there was any operational difficulties given the Monday the Friday workers um so we agreed that we would do it on that Thursday as part of our agenda for world patient safety week that week excellent and did you have any um, additional um, team available um, for the switchover or did... Yeah, yeah. So, so we've effectively just had one of our, our, our IT digital colleagues who supports the, the, the Ulysses project. Um, and it's interesting, we generally take our national update for Ulysses every September or August, September every year. So this year was the, the update. We'd already put it into our test system. So we knew it was capable, we'd have our test system connected for a period of time. Yeah. Um, we just had to take one further update. We deployed the update the week before, but then didn't switch it on or didn't switch the form on. So you do all of the homework, the housework, all of the background work behind the scenes, and then you effectively plug it in, put your uh, API code in, and it goes. Excellent. And there's no stopping it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, what, what was your so what was your biggest concern before transitioning and how do you feel about it now? Well, like any new system, there's that natural apprehension about this is going to break the world of the organisation. And it's not really that. Um, I think what's important, there was a number of concerns that and I'd raised some of them through the pilot project. Um, so I'm not going to do these in any particular order, but the first concern was about reporting risk and outcome. I really struggled with that. And I think, you know, I think the proof's in the pudding of that now about what we've decided rightfully to work together as a national team and as local teams with knowledge around the fact that each risk manager of the trust will say this doesn't make sense because we've got a risk module that doesn't connect to LFBSE. So I think there is a capability. I think there is something we can actually do to get the risks through the instant system. But what we haven't got is break the cycle of how we've trained staff about risk management for a number of years and in line with national guidance about how they report that risk through web functionality, how that escalates, how it goes through your board assurance frameworks and things like that. So you can't separate that out and then tell the staff, I'll just put them through the instant module because there's a whole relationship of governance wrapped around that for each corporate organisation. But I think there is a way to do that about certain type of instance that don't create harm, that are naturally risks. And equally yeah. those ones that don't involve a patient. So that was the first concern. So we've already said it, it's good that you've, you've, you've put a pause on that, but we're happy yeah. to support that methodology and thinking about how we get that type of information to you. Yeah, great. Thank you. And we, we're always after new um, or transition providers that are using or want to use that module. We, we, we would really um, uh, encourage those to come forward so we can explore how how we can do that and how we can better implement it if it's if it clashes already with with internal systems so um yeah so we would gr be great to work with you on that in the future yeah the second one was in relation to speed of reporting you know the culture of organizations and i think you have to be minded to this about this is embryonic this will be cultural shift for many organizations and it really depends mm -hmm. on the culture and in line with the quality standards that existed within the nrls 
So, you know, we know the quality standards that came out six years after the NRLS came up in 2009 um, indicated that you reported your patient safety incidents every month and you were measured against monthly. We were actually reporting virtually every day and had what time scale of an incident occurring and what trust again in NRLS down to about five days. It is really interesting now that we're live reporting that it's about 1.2 days. So from an incident occurring because they're getting live submitted and I guess that issue is I would be looking to think about that development and performance about shifting that to hours as a measurement because you're always going to have one day even in live reporting if it spanned the period of midnight. So there's some simple things that you'd look at and say, OK, let's look at the time scale of report and see is that coming through in a live situation? And you can see that it, it, it's quite wonderful to be able to go into the LFPSE national system and compare that to what we've taken to granted for 20 years, the NRLS, where you're yeah. looking at provisional data, you're waiting a significant period of time for national reports to come out to see is there anything that there's a comparator to other organisations, safety cultures and things like that? How does it compare? And there is an important point about speed of reporting and quality of reporting. I think it was absolutely great that Lucy pushed out onto the collaboration platform, the CQC's view, about don't worry about this automation of reporting. The yeah. quality will improve over time. This is the principle of transparency. This is the principle of openness and the recognition that something has happened, that we're already reporting. Yeah. And our clinicians just do that. They don't worry. They report everything. They don't worry too much about what's going into a national system. Our support mechanism is when the queries come back about that one incident and what support me mechanisms we put in place. So I guess from all of that, I guess the other bit was helpful to hear because I had a personal concern when I'd heard that vendors were building in a switch off that allowed you to delay the automatic reporting. It didn't seem in the spirit of what we're trying to achieve here locally and nationally. Yeah, um, and we have since clarified with those vendors and with our new user experience uh, guidance that that um, is not something that people should be using. Um, but it, it is helpful to to hear that that hasn't um, felt too problematic for you. And I mean, uh, Tony and Debbie, you're you're the ones kind of looking at the records uh, internally as they come in. Um, are you doing anything different with those in terms of your kind of QAing of the data or uh, uh, completeness or anything like that? So no, again, again, it comes, I'll let <laughs> Debbie talk. I think what's really important, Debbie can explain what she does with the instant team of this organisation, because I think that's a key consideration around culture. So if Debbie just explains the setup of the team, what she has at her disposal and how we process the instant inf information of the organisation, what we have done is strengthened it now that LFPSE is up. So if I hand over to Debbie, she can explain the setup of the team and how we go through an incident occurring and reporting that through the system and then how we quality check that and what we say about what managers do. So. Yeah, so we've currently got six administrators working within the incident team. Incidents are reported into our safeguard system. They're put into a web holding file. Um, and the incident administrators work through once the managers authorise the incidents, they're available for the incident administrators to work through and quality check. Obviously, some of those have already gone into the national system, but they then quality check them, update them. Um, and that's basically kind of is that right, Tony, in terms of yeah. what they do? There's nothing else Absolutely. to it, is there? I thought I was missing something as usual. No, no. So, so, but that, they're guess... updating the, the, the incidents all the time um, in the national system. And we can only talk for our system because I have 
really put pressure on our executive team to understand the importance of quality of information that then focuses the business of a big corporate organization such as ours because it really helps to improve the safety strategy of an organization create business cases based on the data that clinicians are telling with and actually patients are telling with about potential harm and about the reduction of harm so when we think about the preventive measures about using instant data to become almost the business cases of the future it's really important and debbie's team is generally irrespective of weekend working only about four days behind an instant being reported to the quality check yeah, so if amazing. you look at it we are generally sitting at about 200 instances a day reported for this trust as we know not all of those are clusters patient safety instances and not all of them hit lfpsa but we're generally, we have quite a robust process of management chase down that type of stuff, concentrating on the high reporting areas. Because it's, it's a bit unfair. We will have ward managers that might get two or three instances a week in a particular service, and we'll get what children's service or our autism service. I could get 20 or 30 a day. Mm -hmm. And they've got the same time scales to be able to respond to that. So it's much more intensive for some of our services to hit, hit some of the internal bars we've created. But it, it's done, it's managed. And like I say, it looks like from September onwards, we're averaging about 1.2 days for an instant to get into your system, but also less than three or four days for that quality check to take place as well. Yeah. And in reality, it's quite possible that that quality check is happening at your end before any of our clinical team and the national team are actually doing that detailed review of the data. Um, yeah. Uh, we we have a small team of, of clinical staff who read the free text um, and look at the basic details of all incidents that come in um, kind of marked as having either resulted in severe harm or death um, as exactly as they've done with the NRLS but due to the the volume that they're getting um, and you know us, us being a Monday to Friday team and that kind of thing um, they're, they're sometimes a few days four or five days possibly a week behind that data coming in um, so it's just another uh, uh, another kind of um, reality check on what that real-time data means People do have time to to QA it and and make sure it's right um, before even anyone's kind of getting the chance to read it at this point. Uh, let alone anything like CQC jumping down people's throats, which, um, yeah. as you said, they have confirmed they are aware of this change and what that means for the data. Um, and they they actually get data on a weekly basis. I think on a Thursday, so there's a time lag built into what they're seeing as well. Um, yeah, so I think that's yeah. just. I guess it. the other bit is if we think about it, once this replaces Stice, your serious instance going in within your timeframes, this is automatic. I guess part of that is the consideration and, and look forward to be able to support with the PSURF module when that comes up about the culture of reporting, uploading any new learning, that type of stuff, because that will become de developmental over time. Yeah. So whilst, you know, it would have been great that we were a pilot of both the LFPSE and PSERF because it would have aligned some of that thinking for us. So we're kind of thinking we've got one system, we're waiting for the other one to come on stream and thinking how one works with the other, which is always a natural progression. And that will be absolutely fine as we adjust our internal guidance and our policies and processes. Yeah. Um, and on the subject of uh, guidance and policies and processes, um, what have you done for staff in terms of preparing them um, for this change? Um, have you had to provide a lot of training and that kind of thing? Um, we provided no training at all. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm going to I'm going to hand over to Debbie 
for her assessment. So Debbie's worked with me in, in teams on and off for about 10, 15 years. But I recruited Debbie back into my team to support with this project about Go Live. And I'll just ask her to give her assessment of what she was reading on the collaboration platform and the reality of this as making this live in, in our organization about connecting to LFPSC. So I'll hand over to Debbie. Um, yeah, like Tony said, I was brought in to help with the, the transition um, to LFPSC and worked with them in a previous role. I did think after joining the team, to me it seemed quite straightforward, but then typically me started to worry, was I missing something as there seemed to be quite a lot of noise around nationally about how difficult it was going to be and I thought well obviously I haven't understood something properly here because it must be bigger than I'm thinking it is however I can see that a couple of months into since we've gone live my gut reaction was right because it was relatively straightforward now whether that's got something to do with the work that Tony had done previous to me joining um, the team he was managing and you know looking at this system for a few years prior to me coming in um so it could have been down to his hard work however there were still the practicalities of the connection to the actual system that he couldn't really have prepared for because we didn't really know how that was going to kind of impact and how it was going to pan out happy to confirm that we've not seen a drop in more incident reporting since it's gone live um, and currently we've got nearly 5,000 incidents in the system nationally. So we have received some queries from staff, which were glitches, minor glitches in the system, which in the main that they're all kind of resolved now, but we're still working through a few little odd things that are happening. So I guess in answer to your question and in terms of it's been relatively straightforward, and I should have just trusted my gut instinct, which I rarely do these days. <laughs> I kind of always second guess things and I shouldn't. So it has been quite straightforward. Yeah. And can I just add, I think what's really important there, it depends where you start this journey. So I think Debbie's right. And I, I don't put this down to, to, to my hard work by any means. We had about five or six different people almost created an internal clinical team for us. So our safety team become the ward team, as it were, to think about the data that was coming in, being reported through our existing system and how this would then navigate in the national system. And what I've got to say positively is over the last four years, Lucy and, and the team listened, reflected, changed stuff, adjusted it. You know, that's how partnership and learning actually works in my understanding. I think I wouldn't undersell that. Getting this into the shape that it's in and it's a beta system and it's not perfect. Just think of an iPhone update. You get your update, something doesn't work, you get a further update. Yep. But you have to go live with this system. And I think in the design elements that I see, and when people get to see this for the first time, I always explain this and I recorded the videos to share it with others. Just think about this being as easy as being able to, to, to get a new driving license or a new passport. It is when you look at the actual LFPSE system itself, designed holistically very similar. All we're doing is plugging in an existing historic local risk management vendor-based system into that national system. So you can see the belt and braces approach that's available nationally. And I guess we need to have the conversation about how do we open that up? We've always been very transparent that we, we don't operate in an anonymous reporting system in our trust, and everybody's happy to tell us what's going on. You know, and I think it is really clear with the transparency about some of the cultural issues that we've identified in recent months around mental health services nationally, mm. that 
you know, we've seen an increase. We use body-worn cameras on our awards, so we don't fear a covert culture of recording our awards or transparently capturing that information. And we've had those kind of closed culture conversations for our services. But our, our staff are very transparent about reporting any type of patient safety incident, including those that are potentially created by other staff. So we haven't seen a drop off. Debbie's, Debbie's absolutely right. And I'll just put into context there that our highest reporting activity in the NRLS for one month was in the month of August 22, just before we went live, and we reported over 2,200 instances. Obviously, we couldn't baseline that for half a month of September for that transition month, but for the full month of October, we've reported over 2,700 instances. So we've actually pushed in 500 more instances in a calendar month that we hadn't anticipated. So this risk that I've read about and I did respond to the HSJ story. I thought it was an accurate reflection of what my personal feelings or our feelings as an organisation are. This isn't a patient safety disaster by any means. It's a transitional process of a national learning system in yeah. a whole new way and probably quite clever way that it looks. And I think it's really important. One of the things I do at seven o'clock in the morning and log on is I go straight into LFPSC. It's become part of my start, start of my working day now. I log in, have a look at the systems operational, and I can see instance that are in my web holding file in my safeguard system. And I have another screen that can see the same instance in the national system. And I can filter that national system. I think there's development works to do around the filter and how you filter. But that will come with learning and time because there are lessons to learn here about how a local risk management system works and how it filters its own information and how you can actually manipulate some of that at a national level to look at all organisations. And the fact that will open up to the ICS for assurances about activity and things like that. We've never feared. We've never feared our transparent data. We know, you know, we, we've been on the, the front of the evening chronicle around our staff assaults in our organisation when national data has been published. And we've responded to that positively, that people are transparent, that most of it's no harm, very minimal harm in our services. And we reflect on the serious instance that we have. So, yes, there's further developments to do this. I'll probably see these developments go on long beyond my career in the NHS. And if we just think, what would this look like in 20 years time from go live if we think of the NRLS and the capability of this system to be adaptable to plug in a new module and things like that. Exactly. We've seen that develop with local risk management systems. So keep on doing what you're doing. You know, any change is always cultural shift. It yeah. really is. You get the early adopters, you get the laggards. We know that from our own individual training. Mm. So. Yeah, and I, I, I think that is really important. And I think that, um, it's really understandable that people feel nervous about the change um, and about knowing that they're being asked to start using something that is kind of um, kind of advertised as not finished, advertised as imperfect. Um, but we can't get it there until, as you say, people start using it and get the learning out of actually what could be better and what what works well and what doesn't. Um, and that's just such, such valuable information to help us all end up with something that works well for us. But it's it, it's really hard to speculate about um, because, as you say, you know, your expectations can be different from the reality or, as Debbie said, um, her gut was right all along. Um, but we need to we kind of, you know, we're trying to do this in an evidence based way. And that evidence is the user experience and the user feedback. So really. Yeah really just in encouraging to hear that that's been your experience of it um, and just really looking forward to getting more of that feedback in and being able to roll out more changes. 
just just from the staff perspective as well, I think one thing that shouldn't be lost on this is we change national systems all the time. What we just asked staff to do is to continue to report. We showed them the guidance, we updated the forms, we showed them what would have to go into what type of box, that type of stuff, so they can see when the report, what, what components are LFPSE mandated, so they can concentrate on getting the quality right and tell them where. But the bits about the psychological harm are, are important and actually having a physical measure, because we've had that conversation in our organisation for years and never really nailed it. So it's never been there on our instant form to be able to collect that. It's always been like anecdotal and actually it's then impacted on the actual impact of harm. Yeah, so being able to separate that out whilst we're not processing that in detail because we want to get some more activity through it because we are relatively new, even with 5000 instances in. That's still only two months worth of data for us. I will say for the NRS that was three months worth of data. So I think what's really important is here, we're seeing this increase. What we're seeing is a, is a, a co-terminus shift here from our 70,000 instance that we report, more are going into LFPSE that ever went into NRLS. And I need to understand that because it seems to be pulling everything where there's a patient involved and actually challenging about what, the ones where there aren't patients involved. So what we said to the staff is you just keep on reporting, just flag to us any error messages you're getting. One of the learning points for us is we really concentrated on the web form and completely forgot about the manager's form. And there was a minor fix to put on the manager's form, which our vendor told we hadn't done, we hadn't read the guidance. It was one paragraph in the 30 odd page information that we'd completely missed. Soon as we done that, no more error messages. So there are these little nuances that people will learn by experience, but don't forget how your system works. It's a two part process of reporting and authorization and there's bits of this. So it was trying to update the instant in LFBSC and we hadn't put the fix in to allow it to happen. So there's those little bits about learning, but the staff, if you went and asked them, they wouldn't be able to tell you what learning from patient safety events is. They probably couldn't have told you what the NRLS is, but yep. what they can do is understand that they were influencing the national picture of learning. And I've always said that. We've seen some of our instance hit a national system and come back out through a caselet. So those type of things, people know that they can influence the behaviour of a national system from the experiences of one trust to the experiences of many. Yeah, and, th and that's something we're, we're hopefully going to be able to um, change, perhaps. Um, certainly when I was a, um, nursing uh, on the shop floor, I didn't know what the NRLS was. It wasn't until I sort of moved up into sort of more senior management roles and into patient safety that I became aware of what the NRLS was and that these incidents do go nationally and you are influencing national change by um, recording them and perhaps that's that's something that um, would be better to explore with the people on the on the shop floor because if you know that you're influencing national change it's much more rewarding and people much more likely to record where they might not have in the past um, so I know that we're, we're producing some posters and some guidance to to uh, a bit of a comms pack to send out to um, trust to be able to um, hang around the post around the wards and things. So, um, so yeah, that'd be really good to sort of get that uh, messaging out there to to our staff. Um, yeah. And the, 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 the trick, I think what's really important from that perspective here is the trick for us was please don't not report just because you've got the error message. You know, I think part of your messaging has to be the internal communication of where you go to for your support. So many people know we've had a safety team since the inception of the trust. We have a dedicated email address. We get all types of queries into that email address, not just incident reporting. So that kind of one stop shop for us is really valuable. It might be nothing, but I'm not sure if I have to report this 
or I'm trying to report this and I can't. And like I say, on go live day, we actually got two emails into that inbox around LFPRC reporting. And I think if my memory serves us right, from the seven o'clock in the morning till that midnight, when I checked the, the Tableau data 24 hours after, I think we'd reported over 100 instances that first day. Sorry. And that would be 100, you know, that would probably be about 50 unique people that were reporting those instances across the trust. Now, and, and don't underestimate that people talk to one another. I've got this issue with this. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, what you have to do is click that box and click that box. You know, so people self-generate the learning themselves. New starters come in and they'll go through their induction around health and safety requirements and instant report. But when it comes down to having to report your first instant, you've generally got some supporter on the ward, your inductee, that type of stuff, doing that, sitting next to Nelly's system about this is how you do one, this is how you report one. And then within a matter of months, they become an old hand and know exactly how to do it and, and they're quality checking their own information. Yeah. And mental health has it has a certain type of instant reporting because we know from the restrictive intervention stuff, it's really important that when harm has occurred and we're putting people through restrictive practices that we get the quality of that information right. So this system not only goes into LFPSE, but parts of our information come out into NHS Digital around restrictive intervention reporting. So there is a, a great focus on making sure that we're absolutely transparent about some of the restrictions we're placing our patients under. Just to pick back up on um, some of the feedback from staff, and Debbie, you, you mentioned around there were some teething problems that staff um, reported to you and you, you're working those through, but what's the overall feedback from staff and all the users been like with LFPSE? To be honest with you, Hugh, totally honest, I haven't really said one way or the other because it's just business as usual. Nobody's, <laughs> yeah, they haven't said it's rubbish, they haven't said it's good, it's just they just report incidents routinely and regularly and for them there's been no interruption to that other than the odd little glitch that they've had and they've just come to us as they would normally do and we've put it right. right. So generally, I don't know, no news is good news. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think we'll go on that, that premise. Yeah, I've always said as a subject expert of safety, I've been in this role for over 20 years. I've been the trust lead for safety, security and emergency planning, things like that. I built the instant system, this organisation. I've used both systems, both locally and nationally, both Datix and Ulysses. And I said I would use all my knowledge about getting this up, getting this running. And I confidently predicted based on all of that experience, I would see a dip on day one and I would see it recover over a period of time. I was wrong. So all of my experience counted for nothing. All I seen was business as usual, no difference. And actually we've seen an increase in the information going into a national system. So take that as you will about whether I know nothing or whether this is just a system that is just connected and the information moves from one to the other. Yeah. Well, that, that that's great that um, it's not been impacted. Um, what we hope in the future with bringing on some of our machine learning and our um, going back to that instant um, instantaneous sharing of records and being able to provide feedback to recorders instantaneously. Um, that's some some enhancements and some features that we're looking to bring on in the future. Um, so hopefully as we progress that people will be able to start to see the benefits of, of connecting to this new system. Um, but great to hear that it's not impacted and it's just business as usual. Um, that's really great. Um, so one of our last questions for you is um, what other kind of top things you've learned during the transition process or what would be your headline information for other providers who are um, preparing to do this? 
So I'm going to start with probably one of the things I know about instant reporting before LFPSA even existed. Datix and Ulysses are two databases that can operate differently from organization to organization. The forms can be constructed differently, or the CAPTCHA can be constructed differently. The relationships of how the output can be different from trust to trust. We tried to do something about 10 years ago, myself and one of the safety leads from Birmingham and Solihull Mental Health Trust got about 17 trusts together that were all mental health and looked to see whether we could standardize what form and were, were categorization of the identical activity that happened on the shop floor, and we couldn't. So we accepted we were all different for whatever uniqueness that was, and we moved on. Irrespective of that, we were all connected to the NRLS and reporting. So one of the things you need to work on here is irrespective of the guidance you get, you get the appropriate vendor approved update, that type of stuff. You do all of that map and that type of thing. And then you think about planning for the unexpected because there will be slight different nuances in the setup of every different system. So I could give you all of our information, all of our how to's and all that type of stuff, and it may not apply to the next organization. Most of the principles will, and we can share anything that we've constructed in our journey that we've been in place from 2019 and the conversations we've had with directors to say it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and now it's here and it's absolutely fine and it's been and we'll continue to do it. Um, but you do need to plan for the unexpected. So definitely think about all parts of your system. Think about how this system works within your organization, all of the notification rules you have wrapped around it, all of the different subject experts. Think about the nuances of every different type of incident that you report that impacts on the patient. So medication, that type of thing. You will start to see that people may well default to the choices of none of the above even though you've just seen them report a medication instant and they haven't picked the medication. That's human nature, that's human factors. We have to understand that that part comes with part of the education. Yeah, so those are the improvement methodologies. The other bit is accept that each system may well be connected in its own organization and set up differently. We learned early on that the way we improved data and got quality data into a national system is to live connect to ESR for the staff record for the reporters, and connect to the PAS system, the electronic care record, we use Rio for the patients. You do that and it's a live connection, and I'm not just talking about a batch upload once a month, it is effectively connected live now as refreshes every day. So every new referral of a patient that comes in, that record's there to pick if we then have an instant for that new referral. That's really important because that's how the demographic data moves into the, the LFPSE system. So that's how I could Sorry, you save yeah. lot, sorry, you save a lot of time uh, or your staff save a lot of time having to input patient details because it, it's pre-filled. Absolutely, and it improves quality so you don't end up with two Tony Grays or two Lucy Mussets or three or four. And then when you're generating a patient report in your own organisation, you suddenly find out you've got five distinct records and you've only reported on one. Yep. So we use this internally as an organisation anyway, irrespective of how we have to connect with the outside world. We use it for patient planning, for care planning, for promoting recovery, for testing out medication regimes and seeing how they've worked with our patient populations. So clinicians use the data that is reported as a positive and both a negative that that hasn't worked and we need to try something else. So having the quality information and the join up of the system before you even start this project is, is kind of paramount. If you haven't, then it's going to be a slightly harder task. And it's probably going to feel like a harder task trying to do all of that in one go to say, well, that's now the ask. I wouldn't not do that because I still think it has major benefits to a corporate organisation, irrespective of the benefits of creating LFPSA and the quality of the data for the submission. Um, 
are there things that we've learned literally and i think some of it is the reflection so so based on the knowledge based on the prediction we expected to see instance going through as soon as we're connected we did and somebody beat we to it um feedback i think any system change any communication you test the feedback and like debbie said this has been a business as usual process we did think about this a long time before we've done it we did have the experience of i think we'd submit a thousand test instance before we went live we'd had my test system connected to the test user acceptance environment for LFPSE so we could see that. I think it was actually quite latter, so it was probably only about a month before we actually went live that we then got to see some of the data in the national system and we helped just to do your, I think it was your data app and things like that, just to be able to see that. So, you know, part of this is just new learning. It's a bit like there's a new app comes out and somebody tells you about it and you download it and you're on it the first day and then you're not on it and then you go back to it and you suddenly realise something new. So you've just yep. got to understand it. Don't force yourself to learn all of this in the, the first time. The organisation has some time. If you've allowed a flex, I think it is better to get in early and 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 learn. We have always been a pilot organisation. We walk around with pilot goggles on. So as soon as I hear nationally that there's a new something coming, yeah. I just get authorization from the execs to say I think it's really important that we get in early on this because we can influence the behaviour of a national organisation based on that trajectory. And Lucy, you may well remember the first instant I tried to report in, in your lovely system didn't have autism and LD as a choice. So you know, I could I couldn't have I couldn't report the first instant and I had to explain what parity of esteem was and things like that to people. And so, uh, and can you do that now? Yes, it was you adjusted can. very quickly. And I think within 24 hours and was submitted the instant the following day. So that's reflection, that's learning. However, how did we forget it in the first place? <laughs> and and that, yeah, that's a really important point that um, we need that feedback as organisations join and things aren't quite right. We need that feedback and then we can internally triage that, speak to our national policy team. Is this a requirement at a national level? And if so, then we, we change the system accordingly. So um, it's that's yeah. a prime example of, of how we yeah. amend the system. And, and I guess the other bit, because I do track the um, the conversations on future collaboration platform but i choose not to respond to them all um and i think some of the things that i'm not lost on is don't worry about the the mechanism and we can have this debate or we can take it offline or people can contact us about a personal view around what we use internally for the organization and language that we use and what we then transpose that into a national system where you've got your demographics, your specialty considerations and all that type of stuff that's mandated that joins all of that type of thing up. Within mental health, learning, disability organisations, we have a whole host of specialties that are slightly different to yours. So we have had to kind of align, I'm going to say, as, as a language I would use, we've had to align a number of our internal specialties around gender dysphoria services, that type of stuff into adult mental health. And actually, if you go and talk to that population, they wouldn't agree that that fits in there. But to be able to do that, that alignment for us to go live, and that's the ongoing conversation we need to have, because for that protected characteristic, for that population of patients, sometimes they have a view of actually being within a mental health service. There are mental health considerations around that, that diagnosis and that diagnostic criteria. But when you see that they're being forced into that kind of label, if you like, then you'll get pushed back. And I think that will develop over time as learning comes. You have to start with something. And we can see that, you know, that 
one the, the learning point is until you see the data, you can't really question it. So yeah. the feedback we had, and I think it was really good that um, once you go live, that kind of four week follow up about how's it gone, what's the learning from both sides, we can't see this, you can't see that. I think that's important. That's the feedback mechanism as well. It's not just what connected, what am I doing next? It's really yeah. about it's when they're connected and how we're going. Yeah. You know, and what's your advice? We continue that follow up as well. Where I know um, Mandy, uh, um, excellent user researcher, is um, visiting one of our connected providers uh, this week, and um, is going to speak to the the frontline staff that are using the system to see what what they like, don't like, how we can improve it. So um, that that cycle never stops. Um, it's built by users for users. So one thing, and I'll say this as, and please take this as a positive reflection. I sit here now, having done it and haven't seen and that the staff have done it without any problem and it didn't create any type of surge pressure on we're in the patient wards and I was getting complaints that we could no longer see patients because we were sat in front of laptops for three or four hours a day so business as usual being what it is one of the opportunities I think that's really important when you do these type of tasks is actually rather than working with the vendor and working with the presumption of what the software does I think what would have been done is to turn around what we've done and if you'd had a copy of Datix and a copy of Ulysses, and I'm making a presumption that you haven't, but if you had that and mocked this up yourselves, some of the information flow would have been far quicker and further understood. So from that perspective, it's, it's, it's almost like you've got the instruction manual, you've got the product, that type of stuff, but you ha I haven't actually got a car. Somebody's told you what the car's like, and there are various designs of the car. So there is that kind of personal reflection that I come back and thinking now today, knowing what I know, and being on this four-year journey with you, what would I have suggested that would have been done differently? I would have just said, NHS England, go and procure a copy of both systems and plug them in yourself and see how you get them. Mm. Oh, yeah, Happy to take feedback on that one. No, I think that's a really fair point. And um, it is something that we have struggled with, um, is getting that perspective of the people at the nuts and bolts end um lots of our effort has gone into things like trying to get the wording right so that it's understandable to your kind of band fours or your surgeons or your porters or whoever um and some of that stuff's really difficult to do because those are all really busy people who mm -hmm. um have got better things to do than talk to us about language and reporting systems yeah. um and we don't necessarily have direct channels to find those people a lot of the time. Um, and likewise, you know, we we have done a lot of work with the vendors, um, which has been really important. And, and you know, they as as commercial entities have needed that in order to be able to co continue to function in the marketplace. And we need them to be functioning in that marketplace so that providers have viable software to use. Um, <clears throat> But I think you're probably right. And and some of the kind of joining of the dots between frontline staff, uh, local system managers, vendors, um, us as kind of the data uh, owners, and then all of the users of the data kind of outputs as well, that our national partners and our own internal clinical teams and that sort of thing. Like, you know, there's been a lot of moving parts there and um, we, we probably have missed some, some of those connections between how all that fits together. But it's one of the reasons that we do keep asking for feedback, for people's views on stuff, for, um, you know, and the more detailed examples we can get, the better. Um, so if anyone does have, uh, you know, these 
kind of specific questions or specific suggestions about what does and doesn't work that's just so useful to us um because it gives us a, a steer in terms of not just what what might not work but actually what direction we could kind of realistically move in um so yeah that is it's all good stuff I guess the final bit I've learned, and this is personal, and Lucy will know because she's heard me say this many times, and we nearly got close before the pandemic. I think there's an opportunity here to do more. And this might be Stoner Daughter of LFPSC in the future, but I am involved in a number of national conversations currently around instant reporting. So if I have 70,000 instants in my organisation, that shows me the safety culture, the safety risk and informs the board. Why is it you're just taking the ones that only involve the ones of harm to patients? So I'm about to have another interview with another part of NHS England around violence against staff reporting. And I was almost greeted with a round of applause on Tuesday of this week when I said there's an opportunity here to take all of this information push it into LFPSE, separate it out and give it to the people that need it and the people directorate of NHS England. However, the task of doing that now would fracture the compliance timescales to just get the patient related activity in. So I'm happy to continue on this journey, but I think there is a point in time where you say, can we just have one instant reporting system nationally that takes everything for patients and staff? The staff injuries are just as important as patient injuries, given the impact that it has, given the pressure that we know they're under, all that type of stuff, and given the legal responsibilities we owe as a duty of care. I think it's physically capable to do that through this system, just not now. Yeah. So please, the, the implications of creating another parallel instant reporting system purely for staff, that actually doesn't join up the cultural issues of how a ward or a service operates, we run the risk of separating out that intelligent information. Yeah, so. um, and we we are and have been in conversation with the People Directorate for some time about this. Um, it's something that they uh, we've kind of done some initial exploration of, and um, we're kind of waiting back to hear from them on on how they want to move forward with that. But yeah, you know the principle of. Um, making life easier for staff all your reporting being in one place um it, it certainly applies whether it's it's patients that we're talking about or staff um you know we only have a kind of formal remit and funding for for that Absolutely. area but we're in we're in the same organization and i think we've got very similar aims so hopefully that's something that we're going to be able to take forward in the future yeah and i think part of it the last conversation i had with you lucy this was hypothetical and now know it's fear it's not hypothetical it's practical i can do it yeah. And I think I can show it. And I think if, if if memory serves is right, some of the increase in the data that's gone, I think some staff assaults have actually gone into the LFPSE because a patient attached to it. And I think the coding change of involvement of safeguarding teams and things like that may well have pushed some of that information in. So we're just doing that physical quality check. Yeah. So, oh, well, keep it, it posted. Yeah. And I, th I think it is. I think it's, it's a bit like when we're going back to the conversation about how we get risks in. It's about how do you get anything in and then carve it out, whether your AI is going to do it, whether your algorithms are going to do it, or whether you just create different type of activity within the system that allows this to flow through. So the clarification of if it's risk, outcome, incident, good care comes through from the form. It can be separated out into the language of an organisation, the language of this national system. So I think it is doable. I'm happy to do that in your test environment. Next week, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
so I'm mindful of the time. Um, I guess we'd throw it over to you, Tony and Debbie. Are there any other final thoughts that you'd like to share or um, words of advice, wisdom, encouragement or warning um, for other providers listening to this? Um, well, one, I think one of the final things is we've obviously got information, literature, that type of stuff that's on our intranets, that type. It's non-identifiable, so I'm happy to send that through to yourselves. So we've always been a sharing and learning organisation. And you might ask, well, how does it feel now that you've done it? I'm going to turn that around and say we're about to do it again because we've agreed to formally to assist Northeast Ambulance Service to get connected. Excellent. So we're about to help another corporate organisation to do the task again based on our learning. And I'm doing that personally because I don't know a lot about incidents that impact on a, an ambulance trust. So, cool. so I think it's beneficial um, to do that. They came to us. We work with them in, in partnership on off. They are in our ICS patch. So there is some coterminous stuff here, even from the kind of learning about getting them, them up very quickly. So I have come out, me and Debbie have committed to do that. So we're doing the task all over again. Oh, well, fantastic. Um, that sounds like a very worthy task. Um, and yeah, we're really happy to hear uh, your feedback on the 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 second run of the process and and how yeah. it's different for ambulances as well. And in my infinite wisdom, I've committed to get them connected by February 23. <laughs> so what a lovely I, time for you. Yes, well, Debbie's going to be doing most of the work, but I've 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 got the agreement. Fantastic. Watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> That's all we have time for today. So thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information about the LFPSE project, you can check out the main pages on the NHS Income website, our section within the future NHS platform. And you can also follow at PT Safety NHS Twitter for the main National Patient Safety Twitter account. I am at Lucy NHS Safety on Twitter. Hugh is at Hugh NHS Safety on Twitter. And Tony is at Tman27 on Twitter. Uh, there will be more podcasts available online and uh, we hope to see you there. Thanks very much. Bye.